What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner. And this week, we got one of the best ever to slap a dial in on a hot rod, Scotty Richardson. Scotty, what's going on? Man, I'm just uh, ending 2021, getting ready for an exciting 2022. Yeah, we were talking about that and joking in our little uh, pre-show interview here is that, uh, as Alan Reinhardt put it the best, there is no off-season, there's a winter break. And for some of us, the winter break is a hell of a lot shorter than others, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what I'm doing is preparing to uh, put the schedule out for the racetrack at Edgewater next year, opening a new online school, and at the same time uh, doing a little bit of racing it down south in December. So uh, with all of that and having five kids and two grandkids, um, I stay pretty busy. That's uh, like 10 minutes worth of work each day. You know, I'm sure you got time to play around online and everything else the rest of the day, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> with the little ones, uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're a handful. Oh yeah. That's uh, my nieces and nephews. I call them perpetual balls of energy. And you just, yeah. you, you, you got, you got to be ready for that. You got to go in with a war cry and a war plan. Cause they'll straight wear you out. Oh yeah. They don't, if, if we always used to say, if we had their energy, we would be better off. I, I'd be a lot skinnier if I had their energy, but uh, no, I, I, I've got girls that are 31, 28, 12. And then I got boys that are uh, eight and five. So uh I took the uh, the two uh, two family deal and turned it into one. Oh, the, the boys are at the, about that age where they become true true uh, terrorists, if you will. Yeah, they like uh, for some reason mine have taken to WWE wrestling. So uh, we just went to our first WWE Raw, and then. Uh, they're wanting to go to WrestleMania in Dallas next year in April. So it looks like one weekend I'm not going to get to race. I'm going to have to go to WrestleMania. So, well, you know, as a, a wrestling fan myself back in the day, make sure you introduce them to the classics like the Attitude Era so they know about Stone Cold, The Rock, and, and all, all the classics. That, that's important oh, yeah. for wrestling education. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and mine was uh, the Von Ericks. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, old school. I was, yeah, that was, uh, I, I think it was WCW, I think is what it was back then. But uh, I watched the Von Ericks and uh, I actually met Jake the Snake when I was flying in the middle 2000s uh, doing the schools, uh, track schools, because he was flying, he was uh, on a flight with me and I, I went up and said, hey man, uh, do you get bothered very much? And he's like, no, what do you mean? I said, I know who you are. He's like, who am I? And I said, Jake the Snake. And he looked at me like I was old as could be because I recognized him, <laughs> but I did. But I'm a, I'm fixing to be 51 Saturday. So uh, I've been around the sport for, it's been 40, pretty much 40 years. Well, you know, that that's awesome because that kind of dovetails perfectly in my first you know, question is you come from, a family of racers and you know looking back again kind of having that ages wisdom deal looking back on everything you've done at this point in your life 
how did your family help you become such a great racer and someone that's part of the sport? You know, what, what was their role in that? Well, honestly, my father started racing in 70. That's when I was born. And my brother, Edmund, obviously, um, he was pretty good at racing as well. Obviously, uh, you know, pretty good. And he taught me everything that I know. I mean, we were talking about it the other day, man, a friend of mine. And, and um, you know, one thing I think I got from him was being competitive. But at the same time, the, uh, the racers that were at the racetrack, which we raced at Texas Raceway, were Bogacki, Tommy Phillips, the Heffler boys. There was a big group of good, good racers, hardcore racers, and you didn't have a choice but to be good. Our cars, what we were better than our cars back then. Uh, now it's kind of vice versa. But, um, you know, we learned how to win when our cars wasn't very good. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that has always kept me where I could do good is um, – I raced back when the cars wasn't good. So whenever I do struggle, I always go back to the basics of 1985 and it gets me back on the plan on the same guys that win now still have that kind of race mentality as what we did back then. So I don't think that's ever changed. Um, I think we give the, the newer generation more credit than deserved just because they've got a lot more to work with than what we did when we were younger. I, I kind of talked to Jaggy about it. So, uh, you know, to me, I was just blessed being in the era that I was in. And then, I, I, you know, making a thousand runs a year wasn't always uh, a bad thing either. Uh, hard on relationships, but at that time, we didn't really care about them anyway. <laughs> And I'm sure, you know, being competitive with your family, you know, in that environment and those kind of racers, that probably really helped forge your abilities, like you said, because, you know, when your dad's that good, when your brother's that good and you're racing against the likes of Bogaki and the rest of those guys, you have no choice to be good or you're having short race weekends, right? Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, racing's always about, it's men, it's mental more than anything and, and the good racers have short memories because you're always going to lose more than you win. But it's like anything else. I went through a five-year period recently that I was just going to the racetrack and thinking that I would just win just because I know what's going on and I didn't put a lot of time in. And within the, uh, the pretty much two weeks before the million in 2020, I either decided I was going to quit or I was going to get dedicated and get my equipment right and get me as tip as I could. And I make a joke about it. I'm 50 years old. I'm 285 pounds. I'm 70 pounds too heavy. So I have to prepare different than I did when I was 215. I have to get in the car earlier to kind of get, you get wore out getting in and out of a car being 50 years old and you're, way too heavy so I've kind of changed everything to adapt to who I am now and and 
you know, it took me two weeks of really testing and tuning on my car and me to get me back to, I'm probably 75% of what I was at one time, but you know, it's probably as good as I can be anymore, just being a little older and being out of shape, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm dedicated to get back to where I was as far as a little lighter and getting ready to go again because I'm ready to start pulling back into the lanes and them fearing me like they used to whenever I was younger. Do you kind of equate that the higher levels of bracket racing, the big money races, and even like the higher levels of NHRA sports and racing? You, you mentioned, you know, it's a, uh, you got to have a short memory. Is it a lot like being like a high stakes gambler where you're like, you know what, it, you know, you just got to hit me and keep going with it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny. We just had a race, and just to show light on certain things, we had a race in uh, Door Slammer Nationals in Piedmont, and we had a guy that is one of our guys at Edgewater. His name's Preston Mitchell, and uh, it's kind of funny. He went down there and run it up one night, and I always try to tell our local guys that when we have a big race at our local racetrack at Edgewater – that they have an advantage over everybody else. You, big buck bracket races aren't actually guys that are better than normal. They don't always put good runs down. A local guy can beat the crap out of a, a touring pro at their own track. And when you're talking about, like me, I kind of look at myself anymore. I only go to the bigger money races just because I have to, I have priorities. So I have to work at the racetrack. I got to do certain things, but at the same time, none of it uh, works without, I've got to put stuff in our relationships at home because if that's not right, nothing works. So what I do is I limit it to go to the million dollar races or the ones that pay a couple hundred thousand and uh, you know, or they pay back good and uh, you know, I am. You got to brush it off because last year, I, last year I, I done real well racing. And the funniest part about it is I went to four weeks, which ended up being 16 days of racing. I done good four days and it happened to be the $4 million days. <laughs> so in reality, they beat my brains out everywhere, but the good day. And luckily I went, I either won or got close in all the splits. So it looked like I had a fantastic year, which I did financially, but as a whole, I didn't do as good as a lot of them. I just did it the right day. Now kind of going off of that, you know, I was, I, I did a little Google research on you asked Google about Scotty Richardson and Google told me that you've won about in every class imaginable in sportsman racing and NHRA and IHRA you know, you've won some of these big money bracket races. When you look at those two, which is harder and why? The, the uh, NHRA sportsmen or the big money bracket racing stuff? Well, they're both unique in their own way. Um, you know, I, um, I would have to say, obviously, the bracket races is today are tighter than the NHRA stuff. Um, but in reality, 
NHRA is harder to a certain degree because you have a certain dial in that you got to go off of. You don't just change the change the dial in because the weather's gotten uh, better or worse. So, I mean, if I had to pick, if I had to tell you which one was stronger, I would have to say by by a good margin, the bracket racing part of it. Everybody can go double on dead on, and you know the LEDs have made it. They've made it even more competitive because, um, you know, it, it, it's just easier to hit the tree, uh, bottom bulb, um, you know, that the, they have their bottom bulb races on the bracket races. I still don't believe they're ever going to be tighter than a top bulb race. But, you know, if you watch Nick Hastings, he's, you know, I'm 50 years old. I've been racing since 1983. And I can honestly tell you that I've never seen anybody on the tree like him on the bottom. He's very impressive. He's um, I've actually mirrored my racing around him because no matter what, when you go to a big money race, you've got to, you've got to go through him to win most of the time. So my preparation is that's one of them. Uh, And he's by far on another level than all of the other racers, the Sarahs and the guys that hold 10 and try to drive, they just double O and take double O and they, they go with it. But uh, I'd probably, probably rub some wrong saying certain things, but Nick Hastings by far is on a different level than everybody else, including myself. So uh, he's the guy I mirror, but, but when it comes down to it, bracket racing is, is, is you know, it, it's tougher because everybody's on a level playing field and we race every weekend or a lot of them race every weekend. The NHRA stuff is not the way it used to be because you don't have all the touring people chasing the points anymore. What they do is the money's so low anymore. It's all about egotistics than anything and and the deal is you'll get a guy like Fletcher or Bogacki or any of them they'll go to a national event or a couple and they'll win a couple and the next thing you know they decide to go on and chase the points and win it uh stock super stock is still the same and one of my buddies won a world championship Jerry Emmons with the Emmons boys and and that was a dream of his and and he's deserved it three or four years but it finally come through you know he come through and won. So, uh, um, I don't know. I just, my heart is not in the NHRA stuff anymore. I just, I, I feel like the bracket part of it is, uh, the grassroots side of it. And, and to me, no matter what, you got to have the grassroots, got to water that them roots. Cause if not, it ain't going to grow any more than what it is. Oh no, I, I totally agree. And you know, that's what we were talking about earlier. You know, you got to support your support your local tracks. Big money races are awesome to chase. The NHRA is awesome to chase, but we need to constantly be supporting the local tracks, which, you know, it, it's it's comical. I see racers complain about oh, what only pays fifteen hundred dollars to win on a Saturday and it costs me fifty to a hundred bucks to get in. I'm like, y'all ever go talk to a poor dirt track racer? It costs about nearly as much. They're racing for $500, and there's a distinct possibility they're going to total their car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, 
And just like us, when we open the gate on a regular bracket race, we, as a track, we spend about five grand through the night between spray employees and everything like that. So when you open the racetrack on that Saturday to let the first guy in, you're 5,000 in the negative. They don't understand that, that you've got to, you've got to make money or it goes away. Uh, we're, we're blessed. I live in Kentucky, but we're blessed to have the racetracks in Ohio because we have so many racers within a two hour, three hour. It, 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 they say a lot of things about places having a bunch of racers, but the state of Ohio has to be the number one active racers all over. You, you know, we talked about, this. I live in Columbus. So within, yeah. we'll say a three hour tow of my house in Columbus, Ohio, Edgewater, Kill Care, uh, Pacemakers open back up, National Trail, Marion, Dragway 42, Quaker, Thompson, Norwalk, and there might be an OKD Dragway, the one that runs uphill down in Southern Ohio, and then there's that uh, there's another outlaw track that I forget about too. So there's 11 tracks in the state of Ohio. In the state of California, I think they got like three now and one of them is on an Indian reservation like right we're spoiled beyond belief here in Ohio and I love oh, yeah. every second of it oh yeah me too I, I mean it, it's amazing to me that they're active I, I mean and and there's a lot that are sitting but there's so many that are active you know like me I want to put a quarter mile race on for super pro every now and then because we can do quarter mile but um it's just amazing because normally all the racetracks, it doesn't matter if it's all the racetracks across the country. We can't take a weekend off because somebody else is putting the race on because no matter what, the bills keep coming every month. So, I mean, you try not to step on each other's toes, but in reality, it's just business as usual. You've got to go on because habit. I always say if a, if a racetrack took a weekend off and, or a couple weekends off and let them go somewhere else, they'll get in the habit of going somewhere else. And then you've got to try to get them back. So, uh, and I think you were talking about Thornhill. That's Thornhill. an outlaw. I think that's, I've never been to Thornhill. I don't know if it's in Kentucky or Ohio. That might be in but, Kentucky. There's there's another one in Ohio that's like Magnolia. It's Magnolia. That's the track. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's amazing to me because uh, Kilcare had a race at the same time as we did at Edgewater. And between the two racetracks, 30 minutes away, the same weekend, we had over 900 entries between the two racetracks. And you know the other racetracks were going. Yeah. So, so – there's just amazing to me uh, how much opportunity there is for racetracks. But um, uh, I got to go to um, Columbus last year. I'm a friend of Jay Livingston's, and and that is uh, that is probably one of the best things that could have happened to Columbus is him taking it over because he's uh, he's a good guy. I mean, he's a good guy, and he's a good promotional guy so 
So he, you know, he'll take some cars from other racetracks just because he does such a good job and he knows how to put a program together. So, you know, my dad and I have talked about this for decades with all these tracks in Ohio, it would be amazing if like, I know this is a pie in the sky deal. If all the tracks could get together and do like a, just a series in Ohio, a bracket shootout series, once a month, you go to a different track in Ohio, which would be damn near impossible considering how many tracks there are and you rotate the championship. Imagine the level of competition that would come to you talk about a meat grinder. Oh my oh, lord. Yeah, because as a whole, I mean, I'm from Texas, and I believe that that we have a lot of good racers that are originally from Texas. But Ohio is just uh, – the tracks are so good. Norwalk is off the chart. You know, Norwalk, no matter what, is the standard of all racetracks. Uh, don't know how he does it. Uh, but – It's the white pants. He's the, huh? It's the white pants. Or the ice cream, one of the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, one or the other. But the deal is, is everybody uses him for an example. Um, to me, um, when I, I thought IHR should go back together or we start a new sanctioning body, he needed to be the ringleader because everybody follows him. Uh, I would follow him. Uh, so... Uh, it's just amazing that, I mean, I went to Columbus and obviously it's not the way it was. People, like what I was trying to explain to you earlier, people don't understand. You take one of the worst tracks in the country, no names, obviously, but it takes anywhere from 25 to 40 grand of some kind of money from somewhere just to keep it at the standard that it is at when it opens the first day of the year and the nicer the tracks go, the higher it probably is to keep them up. So people don't understand the mowing, the weed eating, um, all the expenses that come in through everyday deal. People don't pay attention to where barrels of glue cost $1,200 now. So, you know, it's the equipment. You know, we have two full-time guys that that they're working. Actually, there's three, I believe. They're, they work full-time to keep things going just the way they are and keep it bowed and weedy. And normally they're behind on the weedy just because it really – you just need a when the weather gets good, you just need to have somebody weed-eating seven day. days a week. Yeah, Every I mean, day. you never get caught up. Because by the time you're at the end of the racetrack, weed eating, what you started needs to be weed eaten again. It's it's amazing to me what all goes into a racetrack, especially, you know, I was running Mountain Park Dragway in Kentucky and Clay City and 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 it's it's not the premier track. It's a nice track, but it was so difficult just to keep it up. Then you go to these other ones that are twice as big and, and really nice. I mean, it, it's amazing to me what what time it takes. Um, all track managers that get paid a salary are underpaid just because the time that they spend there. If they got paid by the hour, they'd be rich. <laughs> Single. Well, yeah, but, but rich. rich. 
Well, we're going to take a quick break here on the Drag Zine podcast with Scotty Richards. When we come back, we're going to talk about his NHRA championships and get his thoughts on that. We'll be right back here on the Drag Zine podcast. Edelbrock introduces his new Victor CNC 11-degree 6-bolt cylinder heads for the GM LS3 applications specifically designed for high horsepower, naturally aspirated, and boosted applications. Edelbrock Victor CNC 11-degree 6-bolt cylinder heads for the GM LS3 engines utilize the popular LS 6-bolt design, making them compatible with the GM LSX block and all aftermarket aluminum or iron blocks with the 6-bolt per cylinder LS race block pattern. The 6-bolt design offers increased clamping capacity over the standard factory 4-bolt configuration and greatly improves head gasket sealing, making them ideal for high compression naturally aspirated engines and high boost applications. You can learn more about these cylinder heads at elderbrock.com. All right, we're back on the Drag Zine podcast with Scotty Richardson. And Scotty, we, you mentioned earlier in the pre-interview that you know, you're know you a humble guy. and we, we talked about the championships you've won. Let, let's talk about that because I've had guests on the show that have mentioned, you know, like your Justin Lambs, your Biondos, your Bugakis, that winning a sportsman championship, the only way to describe it is it's a grind. It really, really is. And I want to know, first off, let's talk about this. Which was your most memorable championship that you won? Uh, I'd probably have to say uh, the most memorable one would have to be the the 94 year whenever I actually won Super Gas and Super Comp. Uh, that was one that um, they – they kind of not let me run Super Street, so we turned it in the Super Streeter into a Super Gas car, and and everything fell into place. And uh, you know, winning two world championships in one year was a uh, a really cool thing. Uh, I look back on it now. Back then, it was life was so you know, it's kind of funny. I we were selfish when we were young because it was an eight month out of the year is what we raced. So family was put on the back burner. So we actually concentrated on racing and putting food on the table. So uh, that year had to be more, uh, one of my best years, just because, you know, back then you had the Coens, the Geckers, the Coverts, the Driscolls, the Stennets, Everybody that was really good racing back then chased those points and to come up beating them, including my brother, uh, beating them and beating them in two classes. Um, it was special. Nobody had ever done it then. Now I think two other guys have done it. And, uh, you know, it's uh, not taking credit away from any of them. It's just the numbers – of people that chase around the world are not the same and, and and it's still tough and difficult obviously but it's just the the you know it's it's almost like the five day at moroso you know it it, it it they tried to do it again this year back in the 80s and 90s when we all raced i can still remember getting butterflies going to that going to the five day you only had one you know what i'm saying it with one car everybody that would thought they were any good 
were there. You'd have some vacationers that were pretty good too, but but it, I would have to say the '94, the '94 year. I, I believe I won the points at Moroso at that same year. It just was one of those points wise. Financially, it wasn't as bet the best year, but um, it was. Uh, looking back, it was probably one of the top years because you know really we were. I was talking about it today and it wasn't even about this. It was talking about the championships, the five years, the five world championships that I won in NHRA. I actually chased the points in 91 to 2000 is, and it was 91 to 98. I chased it pretty hard. And then 99 and 2000, I kind of calmed down a little bit. And, but to win five in that short period of time, you know, we sit back and talk about how many races could I won if I'd have kept going on. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was a grind on us physically because we put everything into it. And, uh, I wouldn't trade any of it for nothing, but um, it was – people don't understand how difficult it was to race for a living when you actually – you know, we went from California to Florida, back and forth, so. It's funny you mentioned it was a grind. That was going to be kind of my next question, is out of all the championships, which was the hardest to win? Because you always have that one that's just like – you you're fighting it tooth and nail like you're you're bare knuckle fighting a bear. Which was your bare knuckle bear fight of a championship? Uh, it's kind of funny. The first year in '91 was the easiest, and the one in '96, I finished tied for Supercop, finished second in the world, and I won stock. But I was uh, running one of, I was going against Donnie Saban, one of the Beyondo clans, and. Uh, it just – it was one of those that we went to Phoenix, and at that time I thought I had a chance to win the world in both classes. I didn't understand how the tiebreaker – the tiebreaker never stayed the same. I lost three of them, and, and I didn't lose them in the same uh, – at the same direction. I lost them in three different directions. Uh, but it was funny. I went into uh, Arizona – the last divisional before Pomona. And in reality, I had to win super comp at the time to win the world. Or I thought that's what I had to do. And, uh, stock, I had to get to the semis to go in the lead for the world championship. And I ended up winning both races in both classes. And when I went to Pomona, I'd learned that I didn't win super comp on the tiebreaker. And then Donnie Saban had to lose, I think before the fourth round. So I had to go all the way to pretty much the last race of the year. And he lost second round. And that is what sealed the deal on that. But that was 96. The last one was the last, the longest grind that I ever had to do to win the world as far as that go. Cause it was, it was tooth and nail all the way through the whole year. Normally, I either got hot early in the year and finished it off real quick, but that one was 
the one that uh, I didn't lead to the very end of the year. So I, I didn't give up. I just uh, – there was guys that were rough on me. <laughs> <laughs> Beat you up a little, eh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gary Russell was one. He out, we had even we had cars that were in the same class, and he outrun me by about three tenths. So every time I run him, I was out. So he he stayed on my mind a lot because uh, I I could have won it a lot easier without him having to run him. But uh, but no, that was that's probably the most enjoyable one because I won stock at Indy that year and won the world championship and also. That has to be the hardest one, the biggest grind, but uh, probably the most enjoyable because it was on the bottom bulb, no, no throttle stops, no nothing. It was foot breaking, and you know, since I started racing in 1983, um, we didn't even have electronics back then, so that still means something to me. And that actually answered the next part of the question I was going to ask, but uh, kind of moving on there, we talked about this earlier that big money bracket racing is probably the most popular form of sportsman drag racing right now, hands down. That scene has seems like it's changed over the years. What have you noticed how it's changed over the years? Has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? Kind of what's your, what's your historical take on big money bracket racing? Probably broke quite a bit of people. Uh, it's taken a lot of the fun away from it. Uh, you know, when you get to where they're paying a lot of money, people have been rules. Uh, they'll do whatever they can to win. Uh, and then you, the trust factor kind of goes down a little bit. You know, when somebody gets on a row, you know, it's hard to believe that <clears> – <throat> Uh, the cars run the same number, but it's kind of funny. Uh, I was with Ed Richardson, our buddy in Florida, and David Simmons, and I made 45 runs in South Georgia in my Nova, and 43 out of the 45, I would have went 573 every run down the racetrack. So, you know, there's – and I don't know why it is as good as it is. It's always been that good. But uh, it, it's funny. But the big money bracket races, I always deep down believe in my heart is what's going to kill it. But for some reason, we always recover. I don't know how, whether uh, people file bankrupt, whatever they do. Because no matter what, I mean, there was a couple races this year that I went to that there was five to eight people at each one had tabs over 40 grand. And, you know, you just try to figure because they put so many people in. And, uh, you know, that's an expensive hobby, you know. That, that makes a drug addiction look affordable at that point. I mean, that's – Wow. It's just high stakes gambling is what it is. They pick on somebody and go and, and it's kind of funny how it really works, but, but it is, I mean, and it is, you know, I'm the guy that I I can't stand re-entries or buybacks, but in reality, if they give me a buyback, when I lose fourth round, I'd buy back and go right back up, try it again. So um, it's almost like, 
going in a casino where they pump the oxygen in the air keep to the get you to keep going. Keep yeah, the keep flowing. the drinks going. You know, what they do at our deal, they keep the motors running and the smell keeps going, so you just keep going back. But, you know, I, I don't – I always say it'd be a lot more fun to go back to the old days where it was foot brake, no delay boxes and stuff like that. But it's gotten so far now, you can't go back. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, and I wouldn't even know how to try, but but uh, I would say the big money bracket race, I, I think in 2022 will probably slow down. I'm hoping for local tracks, they'll do more of the bigger stuff themselves. Uh, but somehow racing stays going. I don't know what it is, but I mean, this last year, there were so many big races that I missed twice as many as I run. And I had two weeks that my entry was right at 14,000 in just two weeks. So, I mean, I can only imagine the people that went to every one and didn't cash in. So um, I, I don't even know how to comment on that other than credit cards are maxed and they're making the interest payment. I don't know. That makes my stomach hurt to think about that. I mean, it's like, like I, you know, if my car would have been together, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I'll make the the summer fling here in Columbus. And I looked at the entry fee. I was like, wow. I, I honestly had never looked really close at one of those flyers. And I saw that entry fee. I was like, okay. It was pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, funny. I went for a couple of days because I kept going back to the racetrack and, at Edgewater and staying there and because I don't like to get too many people in one rig. And, uh, it's funny. I, I, it's amazing to me that, that it's so, you know, I'm going to pick five weekends next year to go race and it's probably 30 grand an entry. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate the last couple of years, to do good at the races, but you know, I just come back from well, the one at South Georgia, not South Georgia, Montgomery. You know, I'm I'm, I'm six grand in the negative, you know, uh, and did do some rounds, and I only had one car which I doubled. But you take the guys that didn't even get round money, and think about what they spent. And I, I mean, I'm in a dually in a trailer that's pretty. I can stay reasonable. And I don't eat a lot. I don't eat fancy. So uh, it, it, it's amazing to me. I don't know where it's going. But every year we say the same thing. There's no way it can stand going the direction that it is. And the next thing you know, you have five more races popped up and people are going. But I really deep down feel like it hurts the local track because you get a guy that dreams about going to a big money race. He takes three weeks off his local track and he goes to that big money race. And, you know, I think a lot of people do that. Uh, Me personally, what I do is I don't go to any of the little stuff and I save it for the bigger races and to where when you do hit, you, you know, it really and truly 20 grand is not going to make a difference in your life. The, the million dollar race at the one that I won is it's going to make a, 
make it better, but it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to – a hundred grand is not a lot of money like it used to be. Uh, now, when you win the race at what the ones that Cummings have and you win $350,000, that's life-changing money to me if you're really smart. But some of these guys, the way they live, 350 is not that much money either. But 350 I could use that. I promise you. I'd be a lot different person. But uh, – <laughs> But, you know, um, it's amazing to me because I would almost rather them drop the money down a little and pay back better to where there's no splits and you just go up there and race. You know, um, it's kind of funny. I've never met Duck. You would know Duck. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know what's funny? I've never met this guy. I want to meet him just because what I like about him, and I've never met him, is he does really well, and he gets by with anything and everything he wants to get by with. And that's what I like about him more than anything. He He's a guy that – what you see is what you get. And if you like it, great. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. And I like that about him. I've, I've kind of messaged him a couple of times because I'd like to go to and announce at a couple of his races. I would be probably boring as could be because they're, it's a wild deal. But uh, I do. He's one of my guys. He almost, I almost got to meet him when I had Clay City. He was coming through. And I wanted to meet him because, to me, he's a guy that – he's a guy. He's he puts a guy on a show. That, he's, yeah. He's a guy that makes a lot of money in a sport that he doesn't know that much about. And I know he's going to rip me for that. As far as the sport that I know, he knows a different sport. He knows the, the showmanship. It's like street outlaws. To be honest with you, those guys make a lot of money and they don't even know what real racing is all about. Uh, I know this is probably going to come off wrong, but I like talking about it because in reality, where I come from, if you run a street, you run a street where there's no street marks, where it's been prepped. You know what I'm saying? They're running on a racetrack, whether they want to say it or not. So, you know, that's what I like about Doug. Duck is not the guy that's going to claim something that's not true. He's going to tell it like it is. That's what I like about that guy, and I've never met him before, so hopefully it didn't come completely across wrong. But that guy is somebody. I was watching Stevie Fast today. That's one of his heroes, and I like him because he's one of those guys that can get it done. I, I joke with Duck all the time. I'm like, dude, you need to go do the old school videos that you and Linko Jim used to do. Like, you you, oh, need, I, you need to do those videos again. Classic. Cla I, I don't even watch stuff. And I watched him and thought to myself, he can say whatever he feels and he does not care. It's simple. When you roll through the gate, if you ain't got money to pay, turn around and go home. I mean, and I, I remember him doing somebody like that, that they come through the gate 
and their daddy was coming in afterwards. I can't remember the guy's name. And he made a video about it. And it was like, how can you do that and get away with it? Because bracket racers, if you change the entry $5, they complain about it. And, and it's funny because they pay big money. I can honestly say the duck people, the guys that run the 275, they're great for the sport because they're the guys that go into the sport and go into the engine places and they don't even ask what it costs. They just go in there and spend the money. Being a person that is crewed on one of those cars and we were a budget operation and we did well for being a budget operation. We ran against the guys that, yeah, they just tell them, call me when it's done. People don't understand. They just, they do not understand or go talk to a pro mod racer. I had, again, being in this job, I learned something new all the time. I had no idea how much a screw or a good screw or a roots blower cost until I talked to some of those pro mod guys. And I was like, wait, what? Like what you paid for your blower is more than what I paid for my truck and my truck trailer. Just, yeah, it's amazing to me. I, I mean, I, I would never think that I would sit here and talk about those guys, but in reality, they are very good for the sport. They really are because they do keep they keep a flow going. Um, I don't know what that is, but uh, I, they keep a flow going at the engine shops and the the parts places because they don't order one. They order 10. Uh, and it, it, it's funny to me because it's funny to me because being more on the track uh, side of the deal, you know, you take, we just had a pro mod race and, uh, and it was kind of funny because they come in and was going three seventies in the heat and, um, and it was kind of funny because those guys are racing for not that much money compared to what their rigs and everything was. And they were more concerned about the safety side of it than what we were racing for. And um, we're working on that now. It's kind of funny to get it to where we have them back next year because they, they bring in a lot of money for the racetrack. And at the same time, they, they bring in a lot of money to the racing world, not just, you know, they, they, they're the, if the truth's known, the pro mod, the top alcohol dragster, the top alcohol funny car comp, those kind of guys are the guys that actually put a lot of money back into the sport and don't take that much out. You know, you take a guy like me, I only want to take out. I mean, I want to put back in, but in reality, bottom line, I have to take out to make a living. Uh, those guys do it somewhere else. They stick a lot of money in the trailer places, the truck places, the motor places, and they're not looking. They're not looking to get that much out of it, you know. Uh, so I look at it completely different on that side of it than what I would have as a racer, you know. So. Um, but I do. I want to meet. He's one of my heroes. I, I People would flip out to hear me say that. But Duck is one of my heroes because he just 
He's just – and with your sidekick that you was talking about, he's about 80% without that sidekick. When he has that sidekick, makes him where he's 120%. Everybody wants to watch him. All the other stuff where he's making fun of people with that guy with him makes it even better. Uh, it, it's kind of funny because – He's the top of the league, no matter what all the street outlaw guys, all the other guys that putting on shows are. Doug, uh, Duck is the the mark that everybody shoots for. I mean, does he still do two races at South Georgia, or is he going somewhere oh, he, else? He, he does multiple races everywhere now. He's, they're doing a radio racing, like a point series now. I mean, it's – like you said, it's it's interesting on how he's attacked the sport and grown it on that side of things. Oh, it's it's amazing because there's guys where I live that that they they don't even travel, but they'll go to the first race in February, I think it is in South Georgia. Lights out, I think is what they call it. Yep. And they go there just to say they're there. They're not even racing for that much money in their class, but they're going there for the show and just to be a part of it. And that's what we're missing in our bracket side of it. No matter what we need to, we need to as racers go to some of these races to put that into where people want to be around. I mean, right now it's all about money. And then some of these guys, they'll put a cook, um, they feed you on the nights. That's not like what Duck does. Duck actually, there's people that are planning right now to be at his race in 2023, not 22. They're already set up for that. You know what I'm saying? They kind of, he's the market. They take, uh, take time off to go and they stay a whole week at the race. It's kind of funny how they do it, but I, I've always wanted to go and just be a part of it just to even sit in the stands just to watch it because it's got to be it's got to be something that I've not been accustomed to I mean it just has to be it's an event I'll put it that yeah, way I've been to a lot of them it's more than a race it's an event yeah I'd like to just walk around and listen to him talk and just how he is because he's he never stops and and uh, uh, and somehow he has a wife that I think they're married that somehow keeps track of him. I, 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 I like I think I need to take my wife around just to see how easy I am compared to a guy like him. But but it's kind of funny. But he is one of my heroes. It's it, it's funny that I I pay attention to him to keep my I haven't seen the Facebook stuff in a long time. He must be. Now he must be getting more professional or something. I don't know. Or feeling like he is business side. Because normally I would always have a notification that he's done something live. He would be sitting in a truck somewhere, him and his sidekick, and they would be talking about some guy doing a um, – I, I think they were on at one time whenever I paid attention. It was um, the guy – that travels around Tyler Cresno was doing something to kind of copy him. And then uh, who was the other guy? There was another guy that his, he, he travels around and does track stuff. Now uh, his dad had a track in Maryland. Can't remember, but whatever it is, he was making fun of them trying to call them 
a different class, even though it was the same class. And he, they were always saying that their cars was faster and the track was prepped better, but you can't get no better than South Georgia whenever they prep it the way they do. It's fast. Bradenton's, Bradenton's probably as good as it gets, though. I love Bradenton. It's, it's probably my favorite racetrack is Bradenton. Um, that's where I'm going in December, but or this month. But uh, it's funny. You'll have to get – you'll have to tell him that he's my hero whenever it comes down to it. I will let him know. <laughs> we're going to take another quick break here on the Dragzine Podcast with Scotty Richardson. We'll be right back here in one second. Fest has expanded its line of groundbreaking polymer, tunnel ram style intake manifolds that are ideal for generating maximum horsepower and boosted naturally aspirated GMLS cathedral port engines. The Fast LSX HR 103mm intake manifold ships with a set of tall removable velocity sacks. However, medium and short stack options can be purchased separately. This allows the interchanging of the various runner lengths so racers can experiment with finding which combination makes the most power in their application. Its polymer construction is not only lightweight and high strength, but also virtually eliminates power-robbing heat soak that occurs with commonly available aluminum intake manifolds. The manifold has been optimized to make power from 5,000 to 7,500 RPM with testing showing 20 plus horsepower gains over competitor tunnel ram intake manifolds. To learn more about this new intake, visit fuelairspark.com. All right, we're back here on the Dragzine podcast, going to wind things down here with Scotty. And one of the things we talked about, you mentioned, you know, your, your, your driving school how did you even come up with the idea of doing a bracket racing driving school originally and what it's kind of morphed into? How did that come about? Well, it's kind of funny. I was, um, I was actually going through a divorce and my girls, uh, were living, decided to live with me. And, uh, so I was making a thousand runs a year and, uh, Hey, come on. Sorry. Oh, it's all good. We, uh, we have all kinds of fun interruptions around here. We're, we're right. definitely not professional. My, I think my dog's trying to get out to use the restroom. I don't know. Let her out. But uh, the funniest thing is I had to take a couple years off of driving to be with them. It was a critical stage. One that I I think I did the best decision ever since I've been uh, as, as a father. I took time off and stayed home. I went from a thousand runs a year for 20 something years to less than a hundred. And then me and Jaggy was talking about doing a drag race in school. And he gave me the ideal kind of, and I run with it. And, uh, but I got committed to where, you know, a, a lot of people try to teach racing but I wasn't going to do it unless I got dedicated, just as much dedicated to teach somebody than just to beat them. And when I started the school, uh, my first one was at a Mockley in Florida. And when I went, I actually went with shorts on, tank top, hat on backwards, had no paperwork. And when I showed up, Ralph and them open arms and I had quite 37 guys and I just said I want to be able to teach y'all how to race help me get what I need to do to teach y'all and I took questions down and 
that's how it even started. I let them tell me what they wanted to learn, and I took notes off of it. And we had a day, The uh, it was kind of funny because the second day was the on-track part, and it was really confusing. But I had Todd Thompson was there. He's a racer, and he helped me and kept me kind of straight because I was kind of like it was a circus. But it, I didn't know I would like it as much as I did because you take somebody. And in reality, what a driving school is, a lot of people know what's going on. But what we really do for them more than anything is tell them that they're doing right to a certain degree. And if they have some bad habits, you fix it. But you build confidence in them. Because no matter what, when you build confidence in somebody, they automatically get better just because they believe in what they're doing. And it's no different. I can take my kids and try to teach them racing, and they won't listen to me at all. But you take somebody else that can teach them, and they'll listen to them more than they would me because I'm guessing I'm their dad. So when I started doing this school, I just the ideal was, I want to give everything that I got and what I've learned over the years to the racers that they want to win, but they never have. And that's kind of the, the love that I have towards racing now is I want to, I want guys to roll up there and feel like they can win. I want to give them everything I can to teach them. And um, the last couple of years, I, when I started getting dedicated again, I, Deep down, I've kind of showed them that everything I believe in still works. And if they'll let me, I'll do everything I can to make them win a race or more rounds than what they've done before. And I try to do everything at an affordable price. Well, things are winding down here. And I like to have fun with my guests. Always ask fun questions. We've had time machines, unlimited bank accounts, all kind of stuff. For you, Scotty, you have the ability to race any class other than a sportsman-style class or a bracket kind of racing class from any era of drag racing. So you could race top fuel back in the 60s. You could race funny car in the 80s, pro stock in the 90s, whatever you would want. What would you race and why would you race it? Or it could be something modern too. It could be modern pro mod. You know, the 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 floor is open, but you're racing something other than a sportsman and bracket class from any time in drag racing. What are you going to race? Okay, you're going to be shocked. If I was going to stage up and race, I'm going to do two segments. One's a quick one. If I was going to be able to stage and race one particular person that I've ever wanted to race and always looked up to that died too young. I would want to run pro stock and stage up against Lee Shepard. I always thought he was, he was the best of all time. Uh, you know, the, in that era, but to go completely to tell you what my dream and what I always wanted to it's a good and a bad story. One, the good story is when I was growing up, I knew Terry Vance was going to get old and he was going to retire. So my dream 
was to run Vance and Hines motorcycle. And I did not know that Byron Hines had sons that was going to take it over. So my dream was to run for pro stock motorcycle in the nineties and run the Vance and Hines motorcycles and wanted to always be able to race Dave Schultz and John Myers and those guys. And they were my, they were my longtime hero. Terry Vance has been my hero. Never met him, never even tried to meet him, but he was always the one that I looked up to. And that's what I always wanted to run was pro stock motorcycle. Not going to lie. 100% shocking. Like, yeah, I, I, I get it. And that's interesting. I, I like it. I dig it. That completely out of left field. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that was always my, my dream to run. Terry Vance was obviously they were ahead of everybody. They always are to a certain degree, Matt. Uh, but, but back in those days, I always thought Terry Vance was going to retire. And I thought that's the job I was going to take. And, uh, then I learned that he had uh, uh, Byron Hines had kids, and I thought to myself, that is not that was not in the uh, the future for me to be able to run pro stock because th- there was Andrew. Which one was the one before? There was uh, if I'd have known, I would have been able to. He won a couple world championships too, which I know him, but I, I can't think of his first name. It was uh it wasn't Byron. I'm not sure. There's Andrew and then there's another one before Andrew, but that's what I always wanted to do is run I wanted to run Vance and Hines and uh run that deal. It's kind of funny to be honest with you, but that was my dream is run Pro Stock Motorcycle. That's that's definitely one we're gonna put on the side as things I never saw coming. But with that being said, you know, I like to give my guests their opportunity to channel their inner John Force, where he used to thank all the sponsors and everybody else and tell people where to find them at. The floor is yours, my friend Scotty. Tell people who you need to thank, what you need to plug, where they can find more info at, what you got going on. So the floor is yours, my friend. Well, I'll keep it short. The, uh, the deal is, is obviously I've got an online school coming December 6th. You'll be able to go to it at Schooled by Scotty on Facebook. Uh, it's going to be an online school for juniors and big cars. I'll be at Edgewater in 2022. And if I was going to thank sponsors, I would always have to thank Strange Engineering and Hoosier Tires. Really, that's the main KR. That's the main ones that stay with me. Uh, I haven't raced enough um, in a long time as far as where sponsors wanted to be a part of my deal, and understandably. Uh, but I did order a dragster power chassis out of Indiana. Uh, so I'm putting a dragster together. I'm going to get a little bit heavier into it. And uh, I, I've got a little bit left in the tank and uh, started today to put it in front of everybody to lose some weight. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm at about 285 now. So 
really and truly it should be easy to lose some, but uh, we're going to roll that way and hopefully do this sometime again next year and it's going in the right direction. Awesome. And of course, I've got to thank the people that make this show possible. Airflow Research Performance Distributors, Eldebrock Comp Cams, Fast Technologies, Holly, Mosier Engineering, Pro Charger, Manly, JE Pistons, Dart, Flowmaster, the whole deal. Scotty, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate you. And uh, you know what? I'll be seeing Edgewater probably a couple times this year. Come on. Join the school. I'm looking to do it myself. See you, bud. See you.